Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the Starline by New York Times best-selling author, prize-winning columnist from the Washington Post. His latest novel, The Paladin, is available now. We welcome David Ignatius. Thank you. Great to be with you. David, let's go beyond the mic. When you received your diploma in economics from King's College in Cambridge, did you ever think you would be writing best-selling novels? You know, I knew one thing, which was that I really wasn't cut out to get a doctorate in economics, that I'd be a, a middling economist at best, and that I ought to try something different. So I tried I tried journalism. Uh, I applied for much journalism jobs. I finally got one with the Wall Street Journal covering the Steelworkers Union in Pittsburgh. Went there in 1976, and I'll be honest, I never looked back. Um, I just loved journalism as I've loved writing novels. Can you talk about the formative moment when you said, journalism is good, but I can be a novelist? You know, uh, so I've been covering the Middle East. Uh, I've been with the Wall Street Journal for about 10 years. And in the Middle East, in Beirut, I'd come across a story that was just so powerful. I'd written a version of it in print, uh, the news story. But I, I knew so much more. It was about how the CIA had recruited and run the leading terrorist of the day, supposedly, the chief of intelligence for the PLO uh, as an American asset for almost 10 years. And uh, the man who ran that operation got killed when the American embassy was blown up. I was in the embassy about a half hour before the bomb arrived. And so all around me were the people who had loved this guy and been part of these operations. And I suddenly knew such a powerful story about America and how we really operate in the world. But I, I just knew I had to find a way to tell it in fiction. So my first novel called Agents of Innocence which told that story came out in 1987. And uh, although I said it was just a novel, every CIA officer knew it was basically the, the truth. And that helped me build a readership among among people who knew the intel business. And it's now 11 novels later. I keep trying to you know be as accurate as I can, talk about the real world that these guys live in, the ways they're trying to help protect uh, Americans do their jobs. Sometimes the ways they get they get get hung out to dry. In the case of this novel, where a CIA officer just just gets totally beat up uh, by his colleagues and tries to figure out why. People in the CIA suggest your book, Agents of Innocence, for new recruits as an example of what they face. Well, I, 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 I'm told that, that that novel's been given out to a couple generations of CIA officers in training who ask, what, what's this work really about? And so often people say, you ought to read this novel. This tells the story of what we do pretty well. Author David Ignatius joins us beyond the mic. The Paladin takes readers on a thrill ride. Betrayal, revenge, through a multi-layered story where trust is really manipulated. So I feel that we're in a world where uh, facts have become unreliable for all of us. And my hero uh, in, in, in this uh, book, Michael Dunn, is assigned to penetrate a sort of, sort of journalistic hacking organization in, in Europe that has that created new ways to make not just the fake news, as President Trump likes to say, but, but fake events, literally images and sounds that were created in a computer that make you think somebody's giving a speech or that some event has happened when it's 
when it's fake. Uh, that's why the CIA wants to know about this technology. And I hate to say it, but these technologies are real. I didn't make up anything in this book. Today, in a computer, we can create imagery that's so powerful that unless we have special tools, we will think that somebody is saying something outrageous, provocative. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a time when the, the truth, figuring out what's really true and what isn't, is more important for all of us than, than ever. I really want to ask you from your years of reporting your thoughts on the Citizen Journalist. What are the problems, if any, of having anyone with a camera and a microphone being able to say, hey, I'm a journalist? Well, I don't have any problem with, with uh, individuals using these tools and uh, sharing with others what, what they see. I, I think that's, that's powerful. And we, we see, you know, a, an individual citizen with a cell phone that can show us uh, a kind of uh, horrible moment. I mean, I'll just be honest, in a moment with a knee on the, on the neck of Poor George Floyd and the cell phone captured it, and you know we see it. I think people around the country, uh, black and white, see it, and they all have a similar just feeling of horror what they're watching. So that cell phone is is a powerful tool. Uh, news organizations like mine, I, I work at the Washington Post, are in a not just a business of collecting information. Uh, Im- imagery like the cell phone camera, but making judgments about how to present it. You know, in the world of information, what really matters, what breaks through. And I hope that we're still in the business of fairness. And I came up in a school of journalism where the, the idea that you let the reader make up his or her own mind based on the facts was powerful. That's, that's we saw our job as as not reinforcing the biases of readers, but challenging them presenting with new information. And I hope that basic mission isn't, isn't lost. I sometimes worry that we're just, you know, preaching to our own choirs, um, and not really bothering to look at opinions or facts that, that, that challenge our own. What's your thoughts of having the availability of news outlets that don't share that alternative point of view, but regurgitates the views that its audience wants it to have? Well, the problem with it is that we end up with competing narratives about, about the truth. You know, news organizations become like clubs. And in your club, you know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. But at the next club down the street, people have a very different view. And at some point, it becomes very difficult, I think, to have a democracy where we all need to get together and pick good leaders who will help our country solve its problems if we're if we're dealing with, with these different and competing narratives. So I still think it's really important to reach out. I and mean, if I see President Trump doing something that I think is right and good for the country, I say so. If, if, if people on the left don't like it, that's okay. If I see him doing something that really bothers me, I say so. And I, I, I so I still think I'm in that business. You know, more to the point, I'd say to all your listeners, it's the consumers of information who are going to determine what kind of information we get. If people say, I'm going to make sure that what I'm getting is true. It doesn't have spin on it. It doesn't come from the right or the left. It's just, it's, it's factually reliable information. And they pay it, you know, sometimes we'll pay a premium for the truth. Like we'll pay a premium for clean water. We can't, we can't survive on polluted water. We need clean, fresh water. 
So I hope people will, will pay for that kind of journalism, demand it, and reject the stuff that's got spin from the left or from the right. And, and over time, if people do that, they're good citizens, good consumers of information, we'll end up with news media that I think will be better. How does the immediacy of social media, in some cases lack of quick verification of facts, hurt the ability for truth to be told? Well, you know, there's a famous saying that, that the lie moves so quickly that the, the truth never catches up. Um, and I, I think there's some truth to that. You can see how, how quickly false information spreads. But I, I, I'll tell you one thing, and I'll bet you and your listeners would agree with it. In a world where my character in the Paladin inhabits, where it's so easy for truth to be manipulated, People will pay more money to be sure that the information that they're getting is reliable. I and mean, if you have money at risk in financial markets, or if you're going to buy a new house, or you're going to buy a ranch or something, you need factual information that you can depend on about all the, the basic financial details. Otherwise, you could you get totally ruined financially. Mm-hmm. So you'll pay to make sure that you're getting that good information. And I just think we need to, to generalize that. It's not just financial information that has to be true, but it's information that affects our decisions as citizens about our country. I mean, if our military wasn't sure of information coming in about potential threats, so they, so they, make, they guarantee, they work so hard on these systems to check and verify. Sometimes, unfortunately, I think ordinary folks don't make the same effort to make sure that what's, what's coming at them that claims to be true really is true. Since foreign actors have the ability to manipulate news so easily, how does the CIA and others protect the differences between what is reported and what's real? So in terms of the information that the CIA provides to policymakers, which is basically their job, I mean, they're not reporting directly to us as citizens, they have lots of ways of of making sure that the imagery, the sounds that that they intercept, uh, that they're not being tricked. Uh, I talked, uh, as I say in the book, in my acknowledgement, the CIA was kind enough to let me talk to one of its best scientists who, who, who shared some of the thinking about how the CIA does its forensics, if you will, how it, how it checks to make sure that, that, that imagery, uh, that sound is reliable. And there are ways you can do it, even with the best deep fakes, where you know my eye or yours couldn't detect that it's fake. It would, it would look like, Barack Obama making a speech, President Trump making a speech, whatever, and we wouldn't know the difference. But they have techniques. They'll slow it down pixel by pixel. They'll, they'll examine it. They have tells that they can see. So they can tell policymakers, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we don't think this information is accurate, which, thank goodness. Uh, DARPA, our Advanced Research and Projects Agency at the Pentagon, has a project that it's been funding for two or three years called Media Forensics that tries to do the same thing, tries to get tools that will help consumers, help help media companies in the end, certainly help the government, uh, uh, make sure that something that's, that's coming at you has not been uh, created in a computer, and in effect created in a laboratory. Because uh, we're in that world now where people can create the appearance of truth, and we need these tools to, to take it apart and look at it and make sure. We're joined by David Ignatius, author of The Paladin Beyond the Mic. From your first novel to now, is there an overarching argument you're still trying to develop or coming to a conclusion with? In terms of this subject of, of, of what's true and what isn't, but the, the overarching argument, I, I think, is is that in the end, 
um, this comes down to us as citizens and the choices we make uh, in elections. Comes down to us as consumers of information, the choices we make about where we get our news. You know, we'll, we'll get the news, and for that matter, we'll get the, the the America that we deserve. If people make wise choices and pick good leaders who can solve problems, who can bring the country together, and you know, get things done, we'll have we'll have a good, uh, prosperous uh, country that we'll all be proud of. If, if, if we, you know. Get, Head toward more division. Well, our country, you can see it. We got we got a lot of problems. Same thing with uh, with uh, with information that affects us as, as 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 consumers. If we if we listen to sources of information that are basically are about spin or about telling you you're right, making you feel good, uh, they're kind of you know like cheerleading more than more than news reporting. We'll get more of that, and and so it will be more and more difficult because you know good news organizations won't have enough money to survive to keep going. So so it's the choices that individuals make that's going to drive this. And so I, I'd, I'd say it comes, it comes down to all of us. Not something somebody else is going to do for us. Uh, we have to do it ourselves. One of my favorite lines in the book is where your main character, Michael Dunn, says, quote, we're going to have to think of legal ways to make trouble for people who want to corrupt our honest, efficient capital markets, unquote. How much easier is it for the bad guys to do bad things all the good guys are limited by so many rules. Uh, much easier. And we need to always make sure that we allow our law enforcement, our intelligence agencies to operate within limits, but to operate in a way that, that keeps us safe, keeps our country secure. I mean, I, I, don't, I think that's uh, my, my character gets hung out to dry because he thinks he's doing something that's authorized, but it turns out people pull a foot on him. And that, that happens more often than it should. Which brings up the question, will Michael Dunn ever return again in another David Ignatius novel? Uh, it's a great question. It's one I'm thinking about. Uh, I actually have an idea for a different novel and set of characters. But I, it's true. I do. I like Michael Dunn. I hope readers like that. I've had a bunch of readers say, you know, bring him back. So I'm going to think about that. I always like to start fresh. I was like, the idea of just like that totally blank page, you know, got to think of the character's name. I like that. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rocky Eight. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. All right. Of your 11 books, which character, flaws and all, do you relate to the most? Well, uh, I'll say that I relate most to the, the character in my most recent book, Michael Dunn. Michael Dunn uh, is, is a guy who has made many mistakes in life. The readers will see that he is responsible for part of his own destruction. They shoot nearly the middle of the book to fully understand that. But he's determined to find his way out of the problems that he's helped create, and he, and he, and he gets there. So I, I think he's a person that I relate to, uh, and I hope readers will. If you hadn't become a journalist or novelist, what other job would you have done? Ah. Well, I wouldn't have done it very well. I, for years, when I, I would think, ah, geez, I wonder if it's too late to go to law school. Uh, you know, if I hadn't been a journalist, I would have been a pretty good intelligence officer, I have a feeling, but I didn't do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I said I started out be, trying to become an economist. The simple answer is that that's what I was trained to be. I'd been to graduate school economics, so I guess, you know, I might have stuck that out and, uh, and I'd be working for some bank or financial institution right now and, and i'd probably be miserable 
favorite season of the year? Well, I would say uh, I love to ski, so I'd say I'd say uh, winter. I mean, I can't ski in the summertime, so yeah, I like the winter snows. What's the one place you visited for work you would never want to return to? Oof, uh, man, that's a tough one. Um, that's the nastiest, toughest place I've ever been. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time in Iraq, uh, covering the wars in Iraq with the U.S. forces, and I guess some of those hottest days in Baghdad, Basra, you know, when the temperatures over 110. And, yeah, I'd say that I'd be happy never to never to be be in Basra again. Number one lesson you learned from your parents? Uh, tell the truth. Okay, what hobby helps you relax? Uh, I love to play tennis. I love to play golf. I uh, love to hang out with my grandchildren, my one, one grandchild, and, and all my kids. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a family man. That's uh, besides sports, sports and family. That's it. How about that lesson you want your kids to, well, even your grandkids to learn? Come back. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Because you never go wrong if you, if you tell the truth. And, you know, and follow the golden rule. But other people, make sure that you, will, you, you, are, you treat others the way you want to be treated. Tuesday, November 3rd is Election Day in the U.S. I want to know, when will the last vote be counted? What day will that be? Man, I'm glad you asked that question because we need to think about that. It will be at least a week later. We're going to have more absentee mail voting than ever because we've got a pandemic on and it's just, it's just going to be tough for people to, to get to polling places. My dad is 99. He shouldn't go to a polling place, but he sure wants to vote. And there will be millions and millions of people like him. So I, I would say it will be a week at least before we know what the outcome is. And that's going to be a really hard week. Imagine all the turmoil in the country, the you know, clamor, screaming, you know, fraud, rig, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, get ready for this coming. The book is the Paladin, New York Times bestselling author, Washington Post columnist, David Ignatius. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Great interview. Good question. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.